So what's the key? What's the secret? Do you know? What's the key to growing in the things of God? You know, some people will say that it's, a, it's an intellect thing, that it's about knowing all the right religious answers, and that's the key to growing in the things of God. Some believe that it's, a, it's an experiential thing. You need to have a, a profound personal encounter with the divine, and then, then you grow. And still some say it's a morality thing. God loves to bless and grow those who know how to follow the rules. But I'm here to tell you today, perhaps no surprise to you, that it's, it's not any of those things. None of those things are the key to growing in the things of God. Now, what Jesus tells us today in the parable of the sower, that the key to growing in the things of God is your heart. It's a heart thing. Let's look again at what Jesus says. Jesus tells this story about an extravagant gardener. He's called the sower, but he's really a guy who wants to, to plant a massive garden. And so he has a, a bag full of seeds, and he's taking a handful of seed, and he's broadcasting it throughout the field, which is just a fancy way of saying he's throwing it everywhere. You ever thrown some seed? When you throw seed, it gets everywhere and in all the things. When Lisa and I got married, somebody thought it was a good idea for them to toss bird seed at us as we exited the church. For days on end, we were pulling it out of our hair, it was in our clothes, it was in the car that we'd rented, it was even on the dance floor. I'm doing the electric slide and seeds are falling out of my pants onto the parquet floor. It gets everywhere. And so this gardener, this gardener is taking handfuls of seed and he's just throwing it everywhere. And why is he being so extravagant with the seed? Well, it's because he wants to see as much fruit grow as possible. It's all about the fruit. He wants to see an abundance of it. Then Jesus tells us that, that some of the seed fell on good soil, but most of the seed fell in unhelpful, unfruitful places. Now, now, what's the meaning of this parable? Well, Jesus is kind enough to tell us. Uh, the seed is, is the message of the kingdom. Really, it's, it's the word, the message of Jesus. In, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels in particular, whenever you hear reference to the word, it's always Jesus who he is and what he's done, what he's promised, what's possible now in and through him. And so the, the sower is God the Father taking the message of Jesus and, and sharing it far and wide with, with as many people and in as many places as possible. And, and the soil is not soil, but, it, but it's human hearts. And some of the human hearts are ready and open and receptive and, and a great deal more are not. And the question that, that you and I are meant to wrestle with when we hear this parable is this, what kind of soil am I, right? Like, what kind of heart do I have? Do I have a heart that is ripe and ready and receptive for the message of Jesus to hit it and do its work over and over and over again so that over the course of my life, each time that word of Jesus hits my heart, it might hit good soil, it might form deep roots, and it might bear beautiful fruit. The fruit of knowing that you are forgiven of every sin. The fruit of knowing that you are filled with God's own spirit. The fruit of knowing that your future is secure. The fruit of, as a result of those things, going out and risking it all to love and serve and give in Jesus' name to other people. Is my heart ready to receive? Well, let's find out, shall we? Jesus says that 
Some of y'all's hearts are just hard. That's what he says. Look again at how he puts it in the context of the parable. He says, some seeds fell along the path, the well-trod, trampled-down path. The hard-hearted person is the person who is feeling himself. This is the person who's full of pride. You know, this is the person who is saying, you know what? I don't need for much. I am confident in my own skills. I am competent as a person, and I don't lean on or call upon God for much. The the hard-hearted person is a person who needs nothing from God. And as a result, when that message goes out about who Jesus is, it just kind of hits the hard heart and falls off. It it sits on the surface. It doesn't penetrate the soil because it's hard. And then the birds can come, Jesus says, and just take that seed and fly away with it. Quick little check to see if you're a hard-hearted person. If you've been sitting here this morning and the entire time you've been shaking your right leg at 90 miles an hour as if you can make this worship service go faster. Or if you've checked your phone 14 times in the last 15 minutes. Or if you have already rolled your eyes at a handful of things that I have said this morning because you've got better things to get to and move on to, then then you might just be self-sufficient. You don't need this place or this people or this experience. I get it, but you also might just be a well-trod path. You might just be hard soil. You might be a hard-hearted one. Just saying. But Jesus says some of us, some of us have shallow hearts. We have superficial hearts. This is how he puts it, again, in the context of the parable. He says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. The shallow-hearted person is the person who will only let God go so deep with them. They're all about the good things of God. They're all about the feel-good moments. They want God to be at work in their life, but only insofar as it makes life better, not harder. As soon as it involves addressing difficult things or tough issues or turning over the other side of the log in the woods and discovering all the nasty stuff underneath and applying the truth of God to that, you want no part of it. All of a sudden, when it gets hard in the context of your faith, you clam up and you go away. The shallow-hearted person really only wants good things from God. And when it starts to get tough in the context of your faith, what happens is you actually end up turning away from God and saying, well, this isn't working for me the way I wanted it to. My life is not blessed in the way I thought it was. I'm not feeling good all the time the way I want to feel. You are making things more complicated for me. I'm blaming you, shaking my fist at you. And because life is not easy, my faith is going to wither now, and I'm going to turn my back and go the other way. That is the shallow-hearted person. And the sun comes out, and it scorches that person who's bearing some fruit, but they've got no root system. They wither away right away. Because again, they don't want to go deep with God. Don't want to apply the truths of Jesus to the hard parts of life at all. That's the shallow-hearted person. Quick check. Maybe this is you. When life gets difficult, what happens to your faith? Do you lean in to the person of Jesus? Do you run toward the promises that are yours in Jesus Christ? Or do you find yourself stepping back, getting mad, shaking a fist, and turning the other way? If when life gets difficult, you find yourself running, you might just be that rocky ground, man. You might just have the shallow heart. And then Jesus says there are some who have divided hearts. This is what he says. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up 
and choked them. This is probably the most common heart condition. You have some divided loyalties. The person with the divided heart, they, they know they need things from God, and they're open to not just the good things, but also the bad things, but the problem is they want Jesus among many other things. The person with the divided heart, Jesus has never really lured long enough or deep enough in any significant way to get say over their lives. And so the message of Jesus gets choked out by all these other urges and impulses and influences. Imagine, if you will, inside of your heart there is a boardroom, a giant oak desk with some water bottles in the middle, a whiteboard on the wall, fancy black swivel chairs all around it, one that squeaks that nobody ever wants. But around that table are not the CEO, CFO, COO, and every other member of the C-suite of your organization, but around that table are all of your interests. It's your own personal, internal board of directors. That's who's sitting around that table. You have your, your professional self seated at that table. Also, your financial self is seated at that table. Your family self is seated at that table. Your fun-loving self is seated at that table. Your sexual self is seated at that table. All of it is there. You're all arguing back and forth. Not much ever gets done. Each has their own agenda, their own urge, their own impulse, and there's no cooperation or collaboration at that table. The person with the divided heart, they want, they want Jesus in their life, but they do not want him to be, to be the chair of that table. They want to give him merely a seat at the table. And so he becomes one voice among many. And his will and his truth and his ways are often, if not easily, drowned out by all the other urges, instincts, impulses, and agendas. Those are the thorns. Quick check if you are a person with a divided heart. Ask yourself this, when was the last time that Jesus hijacked my plans? When was the last time you had something that you wanted to do, you were set on doing, felt right to do to you, and then all of a sudden you got like maybe convicted a little bit or corrected by another person and you could sense this is God through the power of the Holy Spirit moving me in a different direction towards the things of God, the things of Jesus that are in step with his kingdom. And so you actually changed course, changed plans to be more in line with what you thought might actually be the will of God. You didn't do what you wanted. Instead, you walked in the way you knew you should. If Jesus never gets to hijack your plans, if he never gets to stand up at that table and say, hey, I'm the CEO of the soul, then maybe, maybe he's just one voice among many. Maybe, maybe you've got some thorns growing and you've got a divided heart. Now, let's talk good soil. Jesus says some hearts are good soil. Some hearts, some hearts are soft. Some hearts are receptive to the message of the kingdom. And when the message of Jesus hits that heart, it burrows deep. And it forms lasting roots. And the faith that forms and the fruit that comes up is strong and it is plentiful. This is a person who is likely walking around with a constant sense of really who they are in light of Jesus. They are well aware that they are a mess who is in need of and who has received mercy. This is a person who, in many things, is, is, is not asking the question, what do I want to do? 
what do I feel like doing? But instead, motivated by God's spirit as a sign of the fruit of God's work in their life, they're asking questions like this. What can I do that is most glorifying to God and most loving to others? You see, that's the value set of the kingdom. That, that is what happens when there's a soft heart, a heart receptive and ready to receive that message. Now, moment of total honesty and transparency with you. <clears throat> My heart is not often good soil. My heart is not often soft. And if we were being honest, and you and I sat down together, and we had coffee or wine or whatever kind of trips or trigger, we'll, we'll get together and we'll talk. And, and we'll be really honest with each other. And I'll say to you, you know, Pastor Matt's sermon was amazing. Here's how I'm processing it. My heart isn't all that soft all that much. And then if you're being real honest, you'd be like, you know what? Me too. Very often, my heart, my heart is hard. Or, or my heart is shallow. It only wants the good things. Or my heart is deeply divided. And you'd be like, mine too. And then you'll lean over to me and be like, Pastor Matt, what, what do we do about that? How do our hearts become ripe to receive the message of Jesus? How can our hearts be kept as good soil so that over and over that message can burrow deep, form great roots, bear great fruit, and transform our lives? And what I'll do is I'll lean over to you and be like, I've got an answer, but you're going to need another cup of coffee because you're not going to like it. Years ago, I don't remember quite how old I was. I think I was about nine. My mom had this idea that, that she wanted to plant a garden in our giant backyard. And so uh, I have this memory, this vision of her borrowing a, a rototiller, a cultivator, um, something to rip up the ground, borrowing that. And, and if you're a nine-year-old or so little boy, uh, a rototiller is a really cool piece of machinery. It's just giant blades that spin, and they eat the ground. And I have this image of my mom, probably 30 at that time. She's standing behind this rototiller and she's just moving it. It's ripping up ground and she's making these deep tracks in our backyard so we can plant in there. But we weren't ready. No, it's only step one to rip up the soil. Then we, we had to get some stuff to add some good bacteria to the soil. So we got this big bag of fertilizer and we work that into the soil, but we still weren't done. We had to add some water in there. And then, then, it was ripe soil for planting, which struck me as a ton of work for tomatoes you could just go buy at the supermarket. But we were gardening. My point is this. It is an unpleasant process that takes hard soil and turns it into good soil. It's not a process that, that you do. It's a process that God does to us. And how do you think he's going to take the hard soil of your heart and turn it into good soil? You know what he's going to do? This is the part you're not going to like. He's going to let the rain fall. He's going to let the blade work. He's going to let some stuff that you'd rather keep out of your life or not deal with in your life, he's going to let it be worked in and through the ground. That This is how hard soil becomes good soil. He's not just going to let the sun shine all the time on hard soil. That just makes hard soil harder. 
He's going to let the tough things and the difficult things hit you and, and happen to you and work their way through you. And this is how, in a sinful, broken, and backward world, this is how he turns hard soil into good soil. And as he does this, it, it is not him breaking you down. You have to see it this way. It is him breaking you open so that the truth of who Jesus is can plant deeply in you. So what he's going to do is he's going to use the truth of his law to convict you of the dumb things that you're doing. And he's going to let the dysfunction of this world at times do a number on you so that you can see your own weakness and your frailty and your mortality. He's going to let the pains of this world at times upend you so that you can see your vulnerability and your need for him. And again, it's not him breaking you down, it is him breaking you open so that the truth of Jesus the truth of God's love for hard-hearted, shallow, and divided people might be placed deep, deep within you. And over the course of your life, he's going to do that over and over and over and over and over again. Now, if, if you're here today, and this idea of growing in the things of God of having a greater sense of your own forgiveness, greater confidence of your future in his family, a, a, greater, a greater manifestation in your life of, of what are called the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things. If you like that idea of, of more of the stuff of the kingdom in your life, then, then this parable is meant to be an invitation to you. An, an invitation to you where, where you are encouraged. You're encouraged towards three things. The first thing I would say is this, is do not resist the cultivating work of God. Do, do not resist or run from the notion that, that some of the difficulties in your life, the hard things that you'd rather not address, can, can be used for God's purposes. That, that he can be up to something in those things. Resist the urge of a shallow faith that says, unless it feels good or makes immediate sense to me in the way I see the world, I want no part of it. Resist that urge. Resist that urge. And do not resist the cultivating work of God. But instead, reset your expectations. Reset your expectations about what life should look like as a follower of Jesus. God is going to use the difficult things of life to break you open so that you can see yourself for who you really are, so that the, the soil of your soul can be thoroughly tilled and the message of Jesus might, might burrow its way deep and deep and deeper inside of your heart each and every time that it is proclaimed to you. God is at work in those things, making you ready to receive the greatest of things. And then in those moments, and maybe this is where you are today, in those moments where you feel broken open by life and you are well aware of just how desperately you need the work of Jesus in your life when you are at your rope's end, wit's end, whatever end it may be, in those moments, return to, rest in that message of God's love for you. You're gonna run to something in those moments. Run to the truth that sounds like this. I can't, but Jesus can. I won't, but he did. 
I'm weak, but Jesus is strong. I'm sinful, but Jesus is forgiveness. I'm dying, but Jesus is life. I'm lost, but Jesus is my found. Let that message hit you in that deep and broken open place. And that's how God does his work. Jesus loved to tell stories about seeds and soil. I think it was because he knew we could relate to it, like we would get it. But I also believe that it's because Jesus sees himself as a gardener. Think about it. In the book of Genesis, beginning of the whole thing, God creates all that we see. And he creates it all by speaking it into existence. But then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says that, that God, a physically present God, in this new created world, plants a garden. And what we believe is that, that that's a pre-incarnate Jesus. That Jesus is the one who shows up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, and he, he plants a garden. Now, prior to this, all the creating work had been done by speaking. Let there be light, and there's light. Let there be animals, and there's crocodiles. But at this moment, Genesis 2, verse 8, it says God plants. The implication is God has gone from just speaking things into existence into being in the creation itself and on hands and knees digging the holes, planting the seed, dirt under fingernails, planting and cultivating the garden. And I imagine it looked even better than this one because the garden that Jesus planted was known as the Garden of Eden. Now what ended up happening in that garden is mankind rejected the leadership of God over its life and they were then ejected out of that garden. But God did not give up his gardening work. No, he just shifted from plants to his lost people. And now what he is doing is he is taking a different kind of seed and he is scattering it all through this world. And he is, he's trying to get it to hit the hearts of the people that he loves. And, and now you and I, we, we are the thing that he's molding and shaping. We are the work of his hands. You receiving that message and then growing in faith and believing that you're loved and knowing that the God of the universe has done everything to bring you back to him. That is the garden that he's cultivating now through Jesus. Jesus is the great gardener and you you are the thing that he's growing. You. You are the thing that he's growing. But, he, but here's how it's going to work. You, me, we, we, have, we have to trust him. Because to do his work in our lives, he has to till the soil of our hearts. Would you let him break you open over and over and over again so that the truth of his love Take root.